welcome to another week of the Base Training Podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk about nutrition. Uh, we're going to keep it very basic and very uh, palatable. Do you like the pun? Uh, um, and we're just going to talk about the basics, the definition of it, what macronutrients and macronutrients are, the individual nature of nutrition. And we're also going to give a couple of case studies and uh, examples of different types of person and what that uh, what the nutrition for that those type of people might entail. Uh, as always, though, we're going to introduce ourselves and tell you tell you where you can find us. Once you hear where you find us, pause this podcast and then head over to Instagram, follow and like our stuff, set the notifications up, head over to LinkedIn and Facebook and so on, and drop us an email about how to get started with your fitness and nutrition. Um, so, Stefan, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at coach underscore Stefan underscore Winder. You can find me on Facebook, Stefan Winder Strength and Movement Coach. You can find me on LinkedIn at Stefan Winder MSC. And you can find me on email, Stefan at base.training. Boom. What about you, William? Uh, so I'm on Instagram, uh, coach underscore Will underscore Strathy. LinkedIn, Will Strathy. I'm on Facebook, not entirely sure my page is in, it's Will Strathy Health and Fitness Coach or something like that. And then email is will at base.training. Excellent stuff. <laughs> and myself, my name is Lee, if those of you haven't heard us before. <laughs> you can find me on Lee Carter UK on Instagram, Lee Carter UK on Facebook, and just Lee Carter on LinkedIn. And also you can email me on lee at base.training if you've got any questions. So without further ado, after that quick fire introduction, I'm going to get straight into it. The basic definition of nutrition or nourishment as we like to refer to it. Stefan, what should, what would you, how would you define it? Okay. Um, so... Nutrition is the combination of basic nutrients, large and small, uh, that enable us to, uh, and our body to perform its most basic functions to keep us alive. I like it. Boom. <laughs> I like it. I'm out. I'll see you later. Have you got anything different, Will? Any uh, other uh, definitions you've heard? For like nutrition and nourishment, you said the the correct intake of the correct portions of uh, nutrients to sustain life and activity. I like it, and I would just go with an amalgamation of those. Cop out. That's yeah, cop absolutely. Out. Cop out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that when it comes down to nutrition, it's important to define it because um, there there is a lot of evidence out there and a lot of difference of opinion and loads of uh, books and loads of information out there that is confusing and I really think nutrition is relatively simple for the average human um, and when it comes down to it I think we when we're working with clients we have to uh, keep it simple because at that time especially in the early stages, there's a lot of change happening and throwing loads of different definitions and loads of different words at someone just overwhelms them. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the definitions, I think that's incredibly important. Um, within nutrition, we've got a couple of different uh, types of nutrients. Stefan alluded to them. We've got macronutrients and micronutrients. Um, I'm going to take. We're going to take one each. I'm going to go with protein because that's where the gains are. <laughs> so protein is a macronutrient. It's one of the. It's one of the most important, as are they all. Um, and it is really the pro the nutrient that is most known. I would say, everyone knows what protein is. Where they get it from is not always known. <laughs> But you can get it mostly from lean meats. That is a, probably the best source of uh, high amounts of protein. You can also get small amounts from plants. 
also things like yogurts. Um, its function is to help build and repair your muscles and bones and ligaments. It is really the building block of your body, if you like to think of it like that. Um, if you're thinking about building the base, then you need to have the bricks, and the bricks are the proteins. Great, <laughs> I'm on fire with these analogies today. <laughs> and uh, yeah, often protein is taken as a supplement. So you've got protein shakes out there, you've got protein bars, um, and it comes with a lot of energy. So around about four calories per gram of protein. Um, so it's, it's relatively high in energy as well, and it, it just really it really provides a platform for you to do your daily work on, or your daily activities, or your choice of activities, or just and just live your life essentially. And when it comes to muscle quality and maintaining muscle tissue quality, it's incredibly important. If you don't have it, then you are going to have a lower quality of life due to a lower quality of muscle function because muscle function helps with your immune system it helps it allows you to do what you do every day um it put it is uh it's just incredibly important i think i rattled on about that for long enough there um will which one do you want to take um i'm going to take carb and that is purely because I'm copping out of taking facts and I get confused between the unsaturated and saturated monos, polys, all that sort of rubbish. So I'm sure to throw that and dump on Stefan. <laughs> um, so carbs, I'd say probably the, the tastiest uh, macronutrient. Um, uh, the reason we need, kind of need those in the, in the diet, they are a primary source of energy. Um, both fast and stored energy. It's the brain's primary fuel as well. And some carbohydrate sources provide us with fiber, which aids digestion. Um, the, the common kind of foods you kind of get those in that most people gravitate towards are breads and pastas, potatoes and things. Um, a lot of people don't realize there's a lot more carbs in their vegetables than they think. Um, that's actually a great way to get them in. Um, and trying to kind of stay away from those processed, um, typically white carbohydrates is a good way to go forward there. Um, yeah. Just a point on that. I've been having a lot more um, like white potato in my diet and I feel great off it. I get so yeah. much energy off it. It's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. I think white potato has been demonised late over the past sort of five years. Um, but there's nothing wrong with it. Just low in nutrient value. You as well, for sure, will have a very balanced nutrient base. Like you're not just eating white potatoes every day, and fried chips and crisps and things, are you? Like you're eating them probably as new potatoes or a mashed potato type. That's fine, but still, just balancing out that with multiple multiple variants of colours and carbohydrates in your vegetables and sweet potatoes, rices is a better way to go than sticking with your white chips yeah I, I, I just i usually just have roast roasted like potatoes a little yeah. bit of little bit of olive oil a little bit of salt and then just stick it in the oven um yeah. maybe because i'm a very bad cook that's all i know how to do Stefan, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, facts hit us okay uh so yeah um facts they are as will alluded to a uh, very complex macronutrients they are there and because of that nature um they tend to have a bit of a negative reputation with people um there used to be the old wives tale that you are what you eat so if you eat fat you become fat which isn't true at all uh fat is a macronutrient for a reason it's essential uh in our day-to-day -day function so Yes, there are lots of different variations. There's like saturated, unsaturated, monounsaturated, polysaturated. So I'm not going to go into that today because um, we're going to try and keep it quite basic. Um, but as an actual macronutrient, fat is important for the formation of steroid hormones, 
uh, involved in our homeostasis and thermoregulation, autoregulation of our body. Um, it's also essential for the formation of uh, nerves. <coughs> Sorry, uh, no, like not nerve endings. What's it called? The myelin sheath, that's it, of nerves. Uh, to allow us to conduct impulses from the brain through the central nervous system to the muscles that are required to allow us to move. Um, it's also very important for warmth. Uh, subcutaneous fat insulates us. It helps make us buoyant. So if you're a swimmer, you need fat to stay, to make sure you can float and stay on the surface of the water as opposed to <laughs> sinking like a rock. Um, and yeah, its storage molecule is triglycerides. Now triglycerides are really important because they can actually be used in a form of metabolism called beta oxidation. Uh, so if you're a long distance runner or a triathlete or uh, um, an Ironman triathlete, someone who does like these big endurance events, this is the most important metabolism you're gonna have. And this gives you approximately, I think it's 136 ATP per molecule of fat. So it's incredibly, incredibly important. So it's a lot slower than regular ox oxidative phosphorylation, which happens with glucose that you get from your carbs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a massive molecule. It gives you nine calories per gram. So that results in a net of approximately 136 ATP per molecule. So it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important if you're an endurance-based athlete. Um, but also, as I mentioned, it's incredibly important just for day-to-day -day function. If you're not able to produce hormones, uh, then we're not able to, we're not able to um, insulate ourselves. We're not able to perform our, our regular autonomic functions. There you go. A lot of big words. Bosh. Absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, one yeah. of the things that kind of just struck me is I'm taking, so for those listening, whenever we do a podcast, I always take notes and uh, partly because it's interesting, partly for the show notes, so I can whack them in there. And uh, for this one, for protein, carbs, for protein, I've got like five or six notes for carbs, like three or four. And then for fat, it's like a, a quarter of a page. Um, it just goes to show how important that is. And often in the fitness industry, in the fitness media, fat is purported to be the uh, the devil. It's the devil. What's that? What's that film? Um, Waterboy. You're the devil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the devil. Um, yeah, uh, it is purported to be the, the devil and that you shouldn't have much of it. But it is incredibly important. Obviously, because of uh, its high energy count per gram, we don't need as much of it as we do for carbs and protein. As, um, in case you missed it, protein's got about four calories per gram and carbs, four to six calories per gram. And they are rough estimates. Remember fat, nine calories per gram. Um, so it's two and a half times more calorifically dense than carbs and fat. And as Stefan mentioned, the problem that it, uh, that I think one of the reasons why it isn't used very much or isn't really adopted very much in long endurance events is because it just it takes longer to um, to digest and to to use the energy that it can garner. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have some sort of fat in your diet. It just <clears throat> it is a nutrient that needs to be taken on before. And you need to have enough in your regular day-to-day -day diet to provide you with the buffer, the hormone function, the nerve function, and the central nervous system function, which I thought was a really important point. Now, when we tend to give um, prescriptions to people, we, unless they're quite advanced in their training and they're more of a, an advanced client, I personally don't tend to give calorie counts. Um, I find it quite destructive long-term. There's some people that can take it, uh, or some people can manage measuring it and things like that, but long-term it's not a great strategy to help someone with their fitness. We prefer to teach someone the tools to be able to manage their uh, nutrition going forwards without having to count calories and sit there on their phone and enter it into MyFitnessPal. So, we tend to give um, 
prescriptions based on a really adjustable tool, which is your hand. So for protein, depending on the person, it's going to be about a palm size of protein. So that is the circumference of your hand and the thickness uh, per meal that is. When it comes to carbs, we're looking for about a handful, a struck handful of uh, starchy carbs. Yeah, <laughs> 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 um, uh, a struck handful of car- uh, starchy carbs. Things like pasta, rice. Um, what else we got in there? Potatoes, sweet potato, white potatoes. Uh, and then fats. We're looking for most people about a thumb size again in length and circumference. And that's going to give you a base to start with. Um, from then on, we can adjust and um, what's the word? test and adjust as we go forwards and uh, make it more individualized to the, to the client so that when you go out for a meal, you can look at, look at the steak you got and go, yeah, that's roughly a palm size. Cool, I'm, I've, I've got enough to eat here. Or you can go, yeah, I've got two steaks in here. I don't really need that. I'm going to leave one or give, give it to someone else. Um, instead of going, waiter, Wait, so how many calories roughly in this steak? Um, and as we, and, and the reason we do that is because when a calorie is measured, it's measured in this thing called a bomb calorom- calorometer. Yeah, that's how you say it. Yeah. Um, it's essentially burn and it gives off a gas and the gas is measured and uh, then that tells you how many calories it's got in it. And see, that is done a lot of the time when the food's freshly picked. Uh, the calorie counts you get on the packets of your uh, food when you, you get them are estimates, oftentimes. Um, they're stuck on there and they're estimated when they're fresh. So if a, what, what, what can you use? A, a bunch of potatoes is picked, that's when it's estimated how many calories it's got in it. If it's sat on the shelf for a week, the calorie count decreases because the nutrient value decreases um, and then when you cook it it decreases again and decreases again and so on and when you eat it if you're not eating slow enough you won't digest all of it um, if you're in a stress state and you're you've got Crohn's disease or uh, any other ailments then you might not absorb the right amount so you might say okay I'm taking in 2,000 calories but actually you might only be absorbing a thousand of those and you can't even say that you're taking in 2,000 calories because of the process that has gone through to get to your plate. Um, so it is incredibly inaccurate, unfortunately. Now, so that is the reason why we use uh, these more simple um, and effective measures of how much you're eating. And then over time, we can use calorie counts I, I tend to do them every now and then with a client just so that we can build a picture of how much how many calories they're eating and get a rough idea so that when they become a more advanced level client we do have a better uh, or we do have a at least a baseline that we can work off to to say to this person okay i want to lose this last pound of body fat okay cool we're going to need to track calories from there because it becomes a bit more of a precise science at that point. And we can't just go, oh yeah, I think I'm having this much. I think we need to know how much you're having. Um, and another reason why we don't use it is because it's a performance tool. It's not designed for the average human. It's not sustainable. It's designed for the sporting elite. Um, it's generally something that's come from uh, bodybuilders. It's been flushed down the the, the pipeline to us average guys and girls that are just looking to be a bit healthier and a little bit um, fitter. I think when someone overly tracks their nutrition and overly tracks their calories, should I say, it becomes quite an obsessive and unhealthy tool um, because a lot of time people got, see that number and they go, okay, I'm eating 2,000 calories, I want to get to 10% body fat and then they end up at 8% body fat. And you're like, actually, that's probably not that healthy. 
Um, again, you're, you won't be taking in enough calories at that point. Um, you're now starting to starve yourself because the only way you can start to lose any more calories or lose any more body fat is you have to just decrease your calorie intake and keep decreasing it and keep decreasing it. And you can't, that isn't sustainable because you can't just live off a, a wafer thin piece of melon every day. <laughs> um, I don't know, bugs and bark. Yeah. <laughs> become popular with people is because typically bodybuilders use it for like eight weeks prior to a show during those weeks they're going through a period of unsustainability towards the show they're doing it purely for aesthetics you think oh they're in good shape they do this i'm going to do it they don't realize how unsustainable it is during that build-up to the show typically bodybuilders will have a rebound afterwards because it is one very stressful two very on the mind and on the body so after the show they just have a rebound and come back to where they were but an unhealthy way by eating a lot of rubbish and that's typically what happens to people when they track calories they track the calories for four to six weeks it becomes very tough and then they just kind of binge yeah it's that it's that fad diet cycle isn't it where someone decreases their calorie intake they started measuring they decrease they go okay i'm on two thousand calories a day and I'm increasing body weight. Now that's safe to say that they're taking on too much food at that point. When someone then goes, okay, I need to drop. And oftentimes it's quite a drastic amount if someone's doing this on their own. So they cut that in half and they take in a thousand calories. Your, your metabolic rate is still working at 2000 calories. You're taking in a thousand calories. There's only so long you can, t- can continue to take that in or that thousand calories in whilst needing two thousand calories before your body goes no not going to happen so it starts a chemical reaction you start seeing food everywhere and eventually you start picking and you start having an extra snack and so on and so on and so forth and because your body's trying to make up for that deficit that you've now got let's say it's two weeks in and you've now got a um, thousand a fourteen thousand calorie deficit over the course of two weeks your body needs to make that up and it doesn't stop that at that point it ends up in it will put you into a surplus so when you get to 2000 calories and you, you you've come back up and you've hit 2000 calories you'll keep going you'll keep eating because your metabolic rate is now adjusting with it and that's why that's why people on fad diets will often end up putting on weight after a 6 week fad diet course um I don't know, Slimming World used to be big big for that, just a massive drop in calories. Uh, now they're kind of changing their ways. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's essentially the fad diet cycle, and it happens all over again. You're like, oh, six weeks or two months ago, I was looking great, and now it's a year later, and I've put on more weight than I was. That makes sense. Um, and I can't remember the, uh, the, the percentage, but something like... 85 to 90 percent of people that started fad based diet will in four to five years have put on the weight that they lost originally and more so like it's a very high i don't know the exact percentage but it's a very very high percentage and it's almost like um law at that point whereas we try and do it the opposite way we take the slower approach so at six weeks you might not have lost any weight but we're still trying to figure out what your body's doing and how it reacts at that point at six months you might only have lost two or three pounds but once we get those habits in place um and you're a year and a half maybe two years on you will start to see the, the improvements and that's when it kicks in when we talk your different movement patterns and you, you know about your body you know how to manage stress all this other stuff that we talked about when it comes to lifestyle <clears throat> and then three four five years on it's just you, you don't really it's not that you know don't notice the change but it's just happening without you having to really think about it it's an unconscious act at that point as opposed to having to track calories and things like that um, and as we said when it gets to that last pound and you're like yeah i really want to lose this um, for whatever reason we then have to have a discussion, okay, is that healthy? Are, are you at a point where your body fat's low enough that you need to track calories? Can you just go onto a maintenance type diet now? Or 
if, if they really want to, we have to start tracking calories because that's when it gets quite specific and tough. Um, we talked a lot about body fat and losing weight. I always think it's quite important to clarify the difference between the two. Obviously, losing this this is the whole this is part of the problem with the fad diet cycle. Is people go, I want to lose weight. Cool, calories in to calories out. If calories in exceeds calories out, I will increase in mass. Yes, that will happen. Obviously, at a very basic level, that's what happens. So people go, they see that equation, they go, okay, all I need to do then is decrease uh, calorie intake and increase calorie output, and I will decrease in mass, i.e. weight. And yes, to a basic level, that will happen. But again, if you don't take into account previous dieting history, and as we talked about on a previous podcast, allostatic load, um, then and you don't take into account hormone function, uh, stress levels, your ability to recover, your digestive system, how that's operating, you might have IBS, all these different uh, ailments again. It, it's, it's not as simple as that. It's never as, it can never be as simple as that. Um, and that's why we endorse hiring a coach, someone knows what they're doing, um, to, to create a sustainable approach that's individualised and personalised to you, the client, and not just a one-size-fits-all template. Because... Um, generally they just don't work uh, i say generally most nine times out of ten they just don't work like there's the resilient ones yes that will be able to do that um but it's just not sustainable unfortunately um, and often people that go in with the tracking calories approach don't learn the school the tools to be able to become autonomous and not have to track calories and they just end up rebounding and flip-flopping up and down with their body weight and uh, uh, body fat percentage and I kind of went off track there, but body weight and body fat are very two different things. Body weight isn't really a uh, an accurate measure, I don't think. Um, I think it's good to track it every now and then uh, to to see the trend, because it's if we when we're working remotely, especially, it's a it's a good way to say okay something's happening. Is, are we moving in the right or wrong direction? It's just a measure. It's not really definitive of anything. Um, but body fat is is very different if you're looking to lose body fat you might find that your body weight increases when you, at your end point you might be heavier than you were when you started but leaner and more toned as people put it and have uh, a better figure better shape to your body um, or a more desirable shape for whatever you want that is uh, but it, I think it's really important to clarify that. And whenever, whenever people come to me and say, I want to lose weight, I ask them, and I think people should ask themselves, do I want to lose weight, as in mass kilograms on the scales, or do I want to lose body fat? Because they're very two different goals, or two very different things. There's also a, a big difference between someone that wants to lose body fat in terms of looking leaner, and wants to lose body fat in terms of change their body composition. Because to change your body composition, we could just increase your muscle mass. Because of that, your body fat percentage has gone down. You still have the same amount. You probably won't look leaner. You probably look a bit bigger because you've now got uh, a lot of muscle tissue underneath your fat. So do you want to decrease body fat percentage or just the overall body fat in terms of the amount you have to look leaner? They're two different ways to do work. Yeah. In terms of losing weight, there's very few people in the world that need to actually lose weight. And they're typically sports people and they typically do either combat sports or weightlifting. They're the only people that actually have to lose weight because they have to hit a weight category target. Other than that, it's most people just want to lose body fat when they say lose weight. They just get confused between the two. Yeah, yeah. exactly that. Um couple of tools I've used. What tools have you used in the past? I've, I've, I've done calipers with people. Um, pictures tend to be a good one. Um, so it, again, these are very, these calipers and pictures are two very um, non-definitive. They're, they're kind of are quite subjective, I suppose is the word. Um, the calipers aren't extremely accurate. Um, and I've found um, DEXA scans. 
Have, have you guys used anything else? Yeah, um, like bioelectrical impedance scales, although not necessarily 100% accurate all of the time because they do adjust um, your measurements to fit a demographic. Um, you input your your data, so your age, your height, um, and that will take that into account. It will kind of skew the data towards your your specific population. Um, but that being said, like they are a good measure as a baseline, they are a relatively good measure to to look at overall body mass, uh, body fat percentage, but also visceral fat percentage, which is massive. Um, a lot of people, particularly obese people, um, they may their like their overall body fat percentage might not necessarily be huge, but their visceral fat in relation to their overall body fat percentage is incredibly high, and that's where it starts to get very dangerous because it's surrounding those vital organs, uh, and if you're starting to impede those organs with fat, then it's going to be really really uh, strenuous on those organs. Uh, which is going to start to kick your body into its survival mechanism. So you're going to be constantly parasympathetically driven, um, constantly like battling to to try and keep those organs functioning normally without um, basically without breaking, essentially, um, because it's going to be that constant fight between the visceral fat and the organs for space. Um, One's going to win and one's going to lose. Um, So we never want to get into that position, but that is one that's incredibly important to consider when someone says they want to lose body fat is if you can get that visceral fat measurement, uh, measurement sorry, uh, I think that's a very, very good one to have and bioelectrical impedance can offer that. Um, and then also um, in-body scanners as well. In-body is 99, well, sorry, 98.7% accurate compared to a DEXA scan. Dexter is like the gold standard. Um, whilst they are very expensive, you can go on the InBody website and you can find where the nearest one to you is. Twenty quid, you can get all your measurements done, and it will give you an output. Um, whether you're normal, whether you are have a developed physique, or you have a caution, um, and just having data like that is incredibly, incredibly important. You can get. Even measurements like intracellular versus extracellular water to identify if there's any swelling or edemas in joints and bones and tissue, see if there's any undiagnosed injury or illness that you may have, which is causing you to retain water or gain weight. Um, For 20 quids, I'd definitely get one. Maybe check in every 12 weeks. I think that's an incredibly good one. Uh, It's like a bioelectrical impedance scanner on steroids. (laughs) Um, and the good thing about it is it doesn't skew your data based on your population either Um, whilst bioelectrical impedance slightly does this one just takes your measurement values and then in the sidebar of the printout it will give you what the population ranges are and where you sit in those but it will give you your raw data as on the main sheet which um, if you know how to read it great Um, but if not I think just a simple bioelectrical impedance like a bod pod something like that really really effective definitely um yeah the in-body scanners are amazing they really are very accessible there's a fair few of them about now as well um uh, which is good I've, I've used both in the past and i think like you said having those as a coach it's, it, it helps so much because it really does allow us to get an a, a, an accurate measure of what's going on especially inside <coughs> you re- <coughs> excuse me you mentioned about um, like <coughs> intracellular and extracellular measurements and when it comes to inflammation that is huge if someone is experiencing a high level of inflammation like you get knee pain it might just be inflammation it might not be a biomechanical issue um, and, and when and that is essentially going to be caused by your nutrition so if we need to um, take some up more what's the word explicit course of action maybe recommend you out to a functional medicine doctor that can uh, prescribe some sort of uh, you, uh, to put you on some sort of test that test for gut health and so on uh, to reduce your inflammation that might then one might fix biomechanically 
or in quote marks biomechanical issues and it also might help to help you lose weight or body fat whatever that you know, your goal might be and it might just be something as simple as we need to increase the variety of foods you take in or we need to decrease the variety of foods you take in you might need to uh, put you on a probiotic or prebiotic things are relatively simple things um, that can be fixed just by having little measurements by that and, and, and an awareness of them um, so if you are trying to lose body fat and lose lose weight then we would recommend that you try and get some sort of definitive measure ideally for an in-body or DEXA scan I know they're in London I also think they're in um, or DEXA scans that is they're in London, they're in um, most major ho university hospitals have got them. Um, and I also know they're in um, Bury St Edmunds, I think they've got one there, it's like a, a place there that does them. Um, so they're really useful. Uh, so we were going to do a little bit about kind of case studies and avatars of uh, clients and and give some basic guidelines of what you might do if you fit into that avatar so first one is um, avatar A we're going to call him avatar Aaron uh, <laughs> this person is over fat so we are changing overweight to over fat based on our clarifying statement that we talked about earlier and they want to decrease their body fat percentage Guys, what sort of things can this person be doing to decrease their body fat percentage? I'll take this one, Will. <laughs> um, so, firstly, I know what they're eating. Typically, people have incredibly high levels of body fat percentage. They a lot of carbs and a lot of saturated fat, I guess, within those carbs or processed foods, thinking probably things like uh, pastas, pizzas, those sorts of things. Um, they're probably eating very low quality of nutrients within their meals. Probably uh, buying a lot of food for lunch, like sandwiches, things like that. Um, so firstly, it's going to be break, kind of analysing the, the main problem or the, the easiest one to change uh, for them, which is going to cause a fall off the wagon. Um, so it might be slowly taking something away. So maybe they snack on a bag of crisps at three in the afternoon. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is say, okay, let's change that bag of crisps for an apple. And they're going to get into the habit of doing that. And we're going to slowly adapt various parts of their kind of diet and routine towards what we believe a healthier one. We're not just going to cut out their evening meal and say, now you're going to eat this. That's what's going to become un unsustainable. Um, so it's looking at small dietary changes that become habits, easier to maintain, and they'll probably see a big difference quite quickly just from changing one or two things. So no changes, identify the main problems and slowly adapt those to a more health uh, standard. Um, working towards a kind of, let's call it a gold standard of being able to measure their food with their hands for a nice balanced macronutrient intake. I think it's important to define their gold standard as well. That's a great point. Um, what is that person's gold standard of healthy and sustainable nutrition? Yeah. Where do they want to get to as their gold standard? They, yeah. they could be 150 kilos with 50% body fat that wants to get down to five because they want to do a bodybuilding show, okay, well, that's going to take like 10 years. Yeah. If their gold standard is just to get their body fat percentage down to 30, okay, it's still going to take one to two years at least, um, but it's not going to be as drastically scientific to get there. Yeah, we've got to manage expectations as well. I know from the clinical psychology literature that managing expectations and <clears throat> closing the gap between reality and fantasy so where someone sees themselves 
in let's say six months might be okay like you said uh, they're they're 80% well, that's going to be very high they're 50% body fat at the moment they want to get down to 5% body fat and they want to do that in six months yeah that's gonna that's very unrealistic so making sure that we manage the expectations and have a conversation and say okay actually this might take you two maybe three plus years if you want to make this a sustainable change if you don't care about sustainability and you just want to get to that number and then you quit and don't care okay then we, we have to maybe have a conversation with them about health and crash dieting and the, the impacts upon health that it has um, but we need to manage expectations in between that because it is one of the main predictors of success versus failure um, if you because if you don't manage expectations and in six months you've only lost five percent body fat you get you might become demotivated you might start um, uh, what's the word snacking again and binging and so on and so on um, and you end up <laughs> at a higher body fat percentage than you originally started yeah, and that is the fad diet cycle that we talked about uh, or as part of it um, Anything you want to add to that, Stefan? Not really. Uh, I think we'll hit the nail on the head there. Um, yeah, it's just like we keep saying, it's a big word, isn't it? Sustainability. Um, consistency, adherence and sustainability, I think, is the holy trinity of what we're trying to achieve. So, um, yeah, it's just not trying to change too much too soon. Um, I tend to never really give more than three points to someone to work on for a month. Uh, make it a habit make it habitual um, and then cool we've established that we can do this we can we can manage this so right let's reevaluate let's do it again let's do our assessment wherever that is whether that's just a food diary I'm a big fan of food diaries I think they tell a lot about someone because someone can tell you that oh yeah I, I just have three meals a day and a snack but when they're actually tracking it they're like oh okay maybe it was that extra cupcake I have in my coffee that I forgot about that's making the difference yeah so having someone actually do food diaries is very telling and it actually makes them realize as well, oh, okay, I'm actually eating a lot more than I thought I was. That's probably why I'm gaining weight. Mm -hmm. So it's just something as simple as instead of having that cupcake, why don't we try having an apple and just making that small change. So I'm not stopping you eating. Let's just switch it for something healthy or like a whole grain muffin. So even a small change as that can be the difference. So three, like, like I said, three kind of, worthwhile changes make them sustainable make them habitual before we then reevaluate do it again um and then make some more changes and just keep progressing down that line until we either plateau which hopefully we never should um or they their goal changes and the goalposts move and then we have to change our methods and kind of go down this track instead of this one yep um so second client they are a 40 to 50 <coughs> excuse me a 40 to 50 year old, let's say female, um, they're high stress and they've got low energy throughout the day. Where do we start? <clears throat> Stefan, do you want to take that? Where do you want to start us off? Yeah, um, so again, yeah, there needs to be some form of assessment. Um, whether that's uh, like a, a nutrition lifestyle questionnaire, whether that's a food diary, whatever your assessment protocol is, whatever you think is going to be manageable for that person. So if it's a highly stressed person, it might not necessarily be feasible for them to be collecting a diary all day, every day. Like say if they're a, a barrister uh, or a lawyer or a solicitor, they could be in and out of court. Um, they could be running back to chambers. Um, they've got to jump on the train. They've got to travel up to Manchester to go to court, wherever that is. Um, might not necessarily be feasible for them especially with all the reading they've got to do to keep track of a food diary so doing something like a nutrition lifestyle questionnaire and trying to establish eating habits relative to emotions relative to stress levels um trying to establish a link there and then just getting basic information of what they're actually eating uh, kind of like the contents of the food uh, is going to be very telling so um, based on what we were saying earlier about our macros, and we're talking about calories and energy energy per gram of food, if someone's low energy, uh, they're probably not getting enough fat in their diet, um, which is uh, quite likely. Um, unless, of course, they're eating all the fast food in the world, uh, then it's probably vice versa. So it's probably not enough 
quality carbohydrate, quality glucose, glycogen stores that they get get in, um, and they're probably not getting enough protein either. So not able to have regenerative, restorative sleep uh, because they're unable to to repair and grow in their sleep. So um, yeah, you, you've got to start with your assessment, um, and then you can only act on what you see in the assessment and what they tell you. Um, if they're not completely honest with you, then you're never going to be able to find that problem. Uh, but if they are, are, are open and honest with you, then you just, yeah, you work on what you see. So again, making, trying to recommend three sustainable changes that they can make. Um, and at the end of the day, if it's a look, when they're feeling like they've got low energy or they're feeling lethargic, there's so many, so many factors that can be affecting that, whether that's a lack of sleep, it might not be nutrition. It could be lifestyle factors. So it could be not sleeping enough or, um, using their phone too much in their sleep. Uh, sorry, before and after they wake up. Before they go to sleep, after they wake up. <laughs> there we go. Um, it could be uh, irregular sleeping patterns. It could be timing of meals. So it could be they're leaving like 12 hours before eating quality nutrients. Um, it could be that they're not eating quality nutrients at all. Uh, it's such a combination of factors because at the end of the day, it's down to an individual. Um and some individuals may thrive on like a higher fat, higher protein diet. Some people thrive on a high, high carb, high fat diet and low protein. It's really, it's context specific to the individual. So you have to have that baseline assessment measurement in order to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, and it will be a bit of trial and error. Like you can only go on what you see. And if it doesn't work, then we've got to reevaluate and think, is this bigger than just nutrition? Is it overtraining? Is it lack of sleep? Is it poor lifestyle practices? And you just got to be a bit of a detective about it, really. Um, so, yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, answer it very well. Uh, one, one point I liked that you touched on was, um, uh, and you alluded to, was a long-term approach and that you have to, it has to be a bit of trial and error. And yeah. It's because like, we can't see what's exactly happening in the body. We can't know that. Um, so we have to try and figure it out and that might take a period of time to do especially if someone is super busy and they're super stressed because of that like you said you gave the example of the barrister traveling up and down low sleep all that sort of thing we have to try different things and like you said three three items a month is what's going to be manageable it might take six months for us to get to the bottom it might take a year to really understand what it is that's causing the problems and causing uh, the low energy and uh, uh, low uh, or high stress and so on. And then it's going to take a little while to put those changes in place. So it, I think it's important for the client to understand that it, it needs, you have to understand it's going to be a longer term approach and you need to try and maintain the motivation when it isn't going as you thought it might. Again, managing expectations. Um, you have to say, okay, I'm going to focus on these three changes. I'm going to nail those this month. Awesome. What effect? What? Uh, take some time to reflect with your coach, ideally, and what what has worked, what hasn't worked. Okay, get rid of what hasn't worked. Let's keep what has worked, uh, and let's try and figure out why what didn't work didn't, and and try and change that part. And again, building a, uh, a bigger, more sustainable approach. Like I said, it might take a little while. Um, and again, it might be something super simple that we might catch early on. It might not be. We can't, we just can't know that, unfortunately. We can't give definitive and definite answers. Um, but doing the lifestyle and nutrition questionnaire as opposed to a food diary, I thought it was an important differentiating piece. Um, because it might be something like if, if they're high stress and low energy. It might be something as they need to take on a bit more fat and carbs in their nutrition. Cool, I've got more energy now. It might be uh, something a bit more complicated um, to do with their gut health earlier on. Uh, we might need to send them for a test. It might be something as simple as, okay, actually you've got a uh, really low, diverse gut microbiome and that's what's causing the low energy. Um, it might be something and when we go, okay, let's, let's try and increase that. So we increase the variety. And it's going to come on to the point of individuality, which I want to talk about after the, the last client. And that is <coughs> client C, um, or avatar C, they want to maintain 
muscle mass and maintain their body fat. Um, so I'll start us off since you guys have done one. <laughs> and it's quite simple. Cop out. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. It's quite simple. Is, is, is that we need to work out firstly, again, assess, don't guess, um, what your maintenance level of energy intake to energy output is. Um, we need to make sure that lifestyle practices are in place. So um, are you able to manage the stress that you might be under in your day-to-day -day life? Have you got a sustainable activity plan? Um, and Or that might be your gym program, if that is all the activity you can manage. Um, <clears throat> is your sleep uh, adequate? Are you getting high quality enough sleep? Um, are you taking on enough water? And, and have you got these basic lifestyle guidelines in place? Um, because if, if, if you haven't, then we're going to see some fluctuation in your uh, body fat and muscle mass percentage. Um, and if you are looking to maintain muscle mass, we need to make sure that you're on a resistance-based training program. Um, and <laughs> because we want to maintain body fat, and we have, uh, you, you alluded to it earlier, beta, beta oxidation, our body fat is metabolized mainly during aerobic work, not high intense anaerobic work. Right? When you so for those that <laughs> those that are listening, we we don't we once can't might have uh, I definitely did. I fell uh, fell prey to the high intensity well. Um, we don't really believe and see that high intensity interval based training in the predominantly anaerobic energy system is the best way to maintain or decrease body fat and increase muscle mass and so on. Partly for those reasons that we just talked about, body fat is uh, metabolized during, mainly during aerobic oxidation. Um, your, and sugars are generally burnt during anaerobic metabolism. Uh, so <laughs> if, you, if you want to burn a lot of sugars and increase a lot of cortisol in your body, go and do a load of anaerobic high intensity interval based training. And that is, that is, suffice to say, even if you can express anaerobic work. Um, whereas if you want to do, if you want to decrease sustainable, sustainably body fat, then increase your aerobic activity in, that, in a sustainable manner. And that might be, I, I said in one of my stories the other week, um, walking, going out for an hour's walk a day. Or something as simple as, if let's say you work in an office block, in London, in the city, and it's, it's Canary Wharf, for instance, the HSBC Tower, at lunchtime, walk up to the top in the, on the stairs and walk down again. It's something that's super aerobic. For some people, that might be a bit of a strength workout as well. Um, and it's super sustainable. You can do that every day. It's just increasing what uh, we exercise people, nutrition people would term as neat. So your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, the amount of work you do outside of the gym, the amount of active movement you have outside the gym. Um, and couple that with a resistance-based, so weight-based training program, and you're probably going to be onto a winner. Um, again, like I mentioned at the start when I was talking about protein, maintaining muscle mass helps to maintain immune function, helps to maintain hormone function, helps to maintain um, movement quality, helps to maintain pain levels, um, which helps to maintain uh, nervous system function, which is obviously where we experience pain. Um, so it has to be sustainable. And it's the one point that we've touched on in every single one of these client case studies is sustainable change and sustain and uh, yeah, sustainability. And it also alludes to the individual nature of nutrition and exercise. So this can't be a one-size-fits-all. If you, if you truly want to do this for the long term, and I would suggest, suggest to most people that that's going to be the better option because, to be honest, eventually you will learn. <laughs> like you will learn the hard way. Um, like, and we're starting to see it now. So for those that follow CrossFit and the sport of CrossFit, completely fine um rich Fronin, for instance i think he's like 31 32 now he's he's getting all of these problems so six seven years ago he did a 
a video when he was like, on top of the world with uh, within CrossFit World. He did a video of his training day, and he was training like seven times a day, or doing seven different workouts a day, and he barely ate anything. Now he's paying for that. He's got like systemic inflammation. He's getting biomechanical issues. Um, he's not doing well. Like he literally just re released a video with him and a chiropractor, and he said in it, "You, ca I cannot go a week without seeing my chiropractor." They obviously you like they're, they're, that's another conversation about chiropractic, um, but there he can't go a week without seeing a healthcare professional. Thirty-two. That's not great. So it alludes to this idea that, and, and fitness at that, that that level is unsustainable. And if you're not one of the genetic, genetically gifted people, then the walls will come there tumbling down a lot earlier and a lot harder and a lot faster. Um, so it needs to be sustainable. It needs to be individualised. It needs to be for the long term. Um, I wouldn't say that if I hadn't been through it myself. Um, like experiencing pain and trying to work out why that is. You go, oh yeah, I, I train hard, I eat well and so on, but you're still experiencing pain. Actually, you're not training for health. Now I know that, I've, I can separate it and, go, and make an, uh, a more informed decision. Say, okay, my goal is X. That is a performance goal. I'm going to experience pain. I'm going to experience health issues later on in life. I'm accepting that for my short-term gratification, for instance. If that's not you and you just want to live a healthy life, you want to have a family, um, you want to live till you're 95 so you can see your grandkids, maybe even great-grandkids, and move well instead of being a 95-year-old that's stuck in a chair but can't move, that's maybe in a care home, that's just waiting to die, like that's not a, that's not a great existence for someone, and that's being medicated up to their eyeballs just to keep them alive, because that's what is is the right thing to do. Um, in quote marks, I personally would rather be the uh, if that if I'm looking for health, that is, the 95 year old that's still lifting weights, that's still in the gym, that's still going out climbing mountains and walking and playing with your grandkids and so on, and then one day just drops dead. Right, that's it. Just heart failure, gone. Cool, that, I'd be happy with that. Um, what I wouldn't want to be is spending 10, 15 years in a chair, struggling to move, in pain every day. Um, and I, I think that's something, a conversation that listeners need to have with themselves. And either answer is okay. There's not, we're not going to chastise someone if they want to go after the performance goal. You just have to accept that potentially there could be... Um, consequences later on uh, it might be musculoskeletal issues it might be hormone function issues you might get ill regularly it might even be um, cognitive issues um, see so yeah, I just think it's a conversation that needs to be had with each individual as an individual with either yourself or with a coach um, before you embark on a, on a training program so I think Unless you guys have got anything to add, it might be a good place to end. You say you're verging on a completely different episode there. I was, wasn't I? Uh, <laughs> it's important, isn't it? Uh, it all, yeah. It's all intertwined. Nutrition and movement aren't separate, unfortunately. They're intertwined. Um, they have to be, really. Uh, it has to be a holistic approach. Uh, lifestyle, nutrition and movement is how we categorise it. But there's many, many other levels below that that um, may need to be understood. They might not be. It might be something super simple. Increase calorie uh, output, decrease calorie input. Boom. Sustainable for that person. It might be that simple, but it might not. So if you're listening and you're in a plateau and you're struggling, or even if you just don't know what to do and you don't know how to do it, then contact us. Consider your individuality. Consider your intent. Drop us an email. Um, you can find us info at base.training. And then one of the coaches will get back to you. Or drop us an individual email if you like the sound of one of our voices. Um, <laughs> go for it. All you've got to do is add our name, Stefan, Will or Lee, and then at base.training. And we will 
get right back to you and set up a consult and see if we can help. Uh, but until that time, we are going to say goodbye and peace out. And until next time, yeah, peace out. Sure. Peace.